Now there is a story about a man who found an ache that has been laid by an eagle. Not been able to return the ache to the eagle's nest, he thought that the next best thing to do was put it in a nest of chicken. Now not knowing the addition, the hen sat on the eagle's ache along with her own eggs. As time went by, a little eaglet was hatched alongside the chickens. All his life, this eagle thought he was a chicken. He did what chickens did. He made the noises of a chicken and would thresh his wings and fly a few feet off the ground. After all, that's what chicken was supposed to fly. Now one day, he saw a magnificent bird far above him in the sky. And he just glided majestically and gracefully in the sky, hardly beating his strong wings. Wow, what a beautiful bird. What is this? That's an eagle, the chief of the birds. The neighbor answered, but don't give it a second thought. You'll never be like him. You'll never fly like him. So the eagle never gave it another thought and died thinking it was a chicken. What a tragedy. What a shame built to soar in the heavens, made to be the chief of the birds, yet this eagle settled for a life of a chicken. You know, in the same way, it's so easy for us as a child of God to just live like a child of the world, to live his oil entire life without ever soaring in the sky. And something tragic happens when the eagle inside earth is convinced that they are nothing but a chicken. You know, Paul tells us from um, the book of Ephesians and the passage that we just read, that we need to live from a correct perspective. And we can only do that if we recognize who our Lord is, our, who our, what our position is, and what power he has installed for us. Now in the first chapter of Visions, Paul highlights to us the fact that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessings from above as the result of the work of the Trinity. <clears throat> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Blessed with every spiritual blessings in Christ. Now, if God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ, then it means that there shouldn't be any talk about needing of having something more, something extra, something special. 
more often than not, we talk about getting more of Jesus Christ, more of the Holy Spirit, more power, more blessings, more of this, more of that. It is as if the resources of God were prescribed one at a time. It is as if God will only uh, will, uh, dole up his uh, blessings and reserve and given to those who meet certain requirements. The truth is, we have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Our spiritual progress is not advanced by how much blessings we have obtained from the Lord, but rather by seeing what He has already done for us, what He has already given to us, and what is already in us. That's why in verse um, 17, Paul writes that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Why? So that we can see what God has already done in our lives and for us to live it out. Now we ask, what is this uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation all about? No, we often say that uh, we know what you're talking about. Or we understand what you're getting at. We often do not make the distinction between these words knowing and understanding. However, in spiritual matters, the difference between them is huge. Because in essence, it is the spirit that knows while the mind understands. You know, to know a thing in our intuition, in, in our being, is what the Bible calls revelation. And revelation has no other meaning than that the Holy Spirit enables the believer to apprehend a particular thing by showing the reality of it to his or her spirit. Does that make sense? So revelation is basically a divine disclosure to us human. It's making something uh, that is uh, sort of previously secret, as made known and revealed to us. Revelation is when the Holy Spirit reveals things to our spirit. As such, the believer knows the things of God by the intuition of his or her spirit. So strictly speaking, the mind can never know. It can merely understand. Knowing is the work uh, of intuition, while understanding is the task of the mind. We know because the Spirit reveals. And then we understand what's been revealed. So the spirit of revelation reveals and makes us see. And the spirit of wisdom will make us understand. Is that making sense? So we need to ask God to grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may see. 
For in seeing, we come to understand. And in understanding it, it should translate into experience as we live it out. Now I'm praying for uh, the Ephesian believers. Paul asked God to give them wisdom and revelation in three particular areas. Now you pray that we will know three important things. One, that we know him better. And two, that we may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the same. That's about knowing us, ourselves better. And thirdly, knowing uh, his incomparably great power for us who believe. What power that resides within us. And the first request for us is to know God better. Now it's been knowledge that one of the failures in Christian life is, can be traced back to not knowing and appreciating who God is. Now here Paul is uh, praying that God will reveal himself to us in a fresh and a special and a deepening way so that we can say deep in our heart that I really know God. And this kind of knowledge comes from revelation. You know, it's not a matter of clever teachings or from the pulpit or Bible classes or for persuasive reasonings and dialogue we have in our home groups or even systematic um, theologies written by talented God's servant. It is the matter of revelation. God reveals to us. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's no merit in teaching and in dialogues or in articles. And all these things are nothing unless the Lord opened the eyes of our heart to the word. Yes, God reveals his ways and his truths through his spirit to our spirit. And more often, it is just through the written word of God. You know, were there not times when you read a, uh, a passage of scripture which you have gone through a, a, a dozen times? And this time when you come to it, you say, it sort of just jumped up to you. Now I understand. Now I know what it's about. And how the just uh, knowing that fact just wash over us, just, just, just give us the, 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 the warm uh, uh, fuzzies. And just as what the disciples on the road of uh, Emir said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You know, so God reveals his truth through his spirit to our spirit, often through the written word, the scriptures. It is when the word of God becomes a living word. And it's important for us to grow deeper in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, a personal knowledge. I know even um, in these days, it's even more so and more important to have this uh, deeper knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because one of the greatest threats that our Lord 
warn us about in his soon coming is the rise of uh, false teachers and false teachings coming into the church. And in Matthew, it says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. You know, no wonder Paul told the uh, Colossian Christians to let the word of Christ dwell in your heart richly. And he said that to the Ephesian uh, believers, I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God. And as such, why we are doing it Sunday after Sunday from this pulpit, faithfully teaching the word of God, is because even Paul commands us to, to preach the word in season and out of season. Because right through history, right through church history, almost every heresy that afflicted the church has come about from believing things about God that is not true. Or from overemphasizing certain true things so as to obscure others equally true things. You know, for example, the Bible teaches that God is love, but some have interpreted this in such a way to deny that He is just. They also presence that the Bible, uh, doctrine of God's goodness so far that it makes it to contradict His holiness. They make His compassion, uh, His goodness, His love to cancel out His truth that God is also judge. God also judges. You know, many uh, will proclaim the kingdom of God, but will not acknowledge the king. They will want Jesus as a healer, as someone who will bless them, but not as the Lord and Savior. And often the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ becomes the social gospel of good works with the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, just to tag on to give it some credibility. Our Lord warned us that in the last days, we will have itching, itchy ears, pandering to falsehood and false teachers. You know, because much of our difficulty comes from uh, our unwillingness to take God as whom He is and adjust our lives accordingly to what he has told us to do. Rather, we insist on trying to modify him and try to bring him closer to our own ideas, to our own image of how our God should look like. And we create our own golden calf. You know, we have to ask God to give us this spirit of revelation so that we can know him better. A knowledge that is a personal knowledge, which is a inward, which is deeper than any of my uh, knowledge that we, we know or we just gleam from around us. And as we have a greater concept of who God is, the greater the appreciation of Him. 
And the greater the appreciation of God, the greater the devotion. So the first thing that Paul writes is that we may know God. We may know God, uh, him better. And the second thing is that he tells us that I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now the word of God tells us that from eternity to eternity, God has a plan. And one of his great plans is that he wants many sons. I'm using that as a generic term, sons, okay? Now God's purpose is to obtain sons, and these sons in turn are his inheritance. Now the day we receive Christ, we become his inheritance. All saints belong to him. We are all special and precious to him. But the likes of us, we cannot imagine and appreciate the greatness of this matter of sonship. Now we have this fact that we are God's inheritance. But this does not necessarily mean that we have come to the experience of enjoying it. You see, fact and experience are very different from one another. Now, we all know about the story of the prodigal son. I think reading the parable, uh, the parable I would like to perhaps to retitle it and call it the parable of the prodigal sons instead of just that one prodigal son. Because not only did the youngest son who left the home to go to a faraway place where he squandered his wealth and his freedom and got lost, but the one who stayed at home became equally lost. You know, for the older son, Exteriorly, he did all the things a good son was supposed to do. But inwardly, he was just as lost. He too wandered far away from his father. Now, true, he did his duty, worked hard, fulfilled all his obligation and task that the father requires of him. Yet, he remained unhappy and trapped and frustrated. And all that show when the father welcomed the younger son back and threw him a party. And the older son went into a fit. You know, so very often, failure in our Christian life is because we have not really appreciated our position as a dear child of God his special inheritance. We think that we need to do this, we need to do that, and to earn our standing before God. You know, we fail to honor the Lord and ourselves when we do not see the position that God has called us to. But the fact of the matter is, we are his inheritance. We are his precious children. And 
we should never, never forget this. And this is our eternal position. We should, again, never, never, never forget that. We are God's dear children. You know, thirdly, Paul prayed, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So his prayer was to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. You know, there was a story about a school fire in a town of Itixka in Texas. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. Just before World War II, where he took the lives of 263 children. There was hardly a family in that town that was not affected by that terrible tragedy. Now, when the war ended, the town decided to build the, the school, uh, which will feature one of the world's finest sprinkler systems. Now, when they done that, they were so proud of the fact that they would give guided tours and show people around um, that what they have is the finest and the most advanced uh, sprinkler system technology that money could buy. Now, after the wall, the town continued to grow. Years, uh, years later, it was necessary to enlarge the school by adding another wing to it. When they renovated the place, to their horror, they discovered that the sprinkling system was never connected to the main water supply. Sadly, this is the parable of what happens in the lives of many of us believers. Many of us do not appreciate, do not understand or appropriate the power that God has available for us. Notice that Paul did not uh, pray for more power to be given to the believers. There could be no more. It would be just foolish talk to ask for more. How could they have more when, uh, when uh, they have what they had? Rather, he prayed that they'll be given an awareness of the power they already possessed in Christ and seeing more just what kind of power which the Lord has given them. And the power is great indeed. It is mind-boggling. It is almost incomprehensible. You know, there's no power in the universe that could compare to the power of Christ. You see, this resurrection power of Christ is so powerful that the grave cannot hold it. It is so powerful that decay cannot corrode it. It is so powerful that death cannot end it. And Paul prays that the believers will realize the dimension of his greatness. And such one of Paul's aim in life is that I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. 
But just if only you have a glimpse of uh, this mighty power and appropriate it, I think there's no stopping what the Lord has installed for you and I and for freeway. In the power which God used to raise Christ is the same power which is given to the church as we minister on Christ's behalf. And never think just because we are few in numbers, we can only give a very tiny and insignificant impact to our surrounding. God's power to us in Christ won't let us. God has called us into the world. And in the world, we not only survive, we thrive. <coughs> you know, we should talk more, uh, do more than just talk about the power of God. And our lives should show some evidence of it, don't you think? But the question is, how do we appropriate this uh, power that the Lord has said that is in us? And the short answer is that we need to experience, uh, to experience this is to, uh, this immersed power calls for a resurrected life. Here Paul writes in Rome, uh, in, uh, in Romans, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Paul tells us that we need to identify with the Lord in two aspects. He says that we have been united with Jesus in a death like his. And we have also been united with Jesus in a resurrection like his. Basically, it tells us we should be identified with the death of Jesus and in his resurrection too. Co-crucifixion, co-resurrection. You know, when our Lord Jesus died on the cross, he completed a twofold work. First, he saved people from the penalty of sin. And secondly, he also saved them from the power and control of sin over them. But sadly, we tend to just highlight the part about being saved from the penalty of sin. And often seem to marginalize and forget or just pay cursory attention about our Lord Jesus saving us from the power and control of sin over us. And Paul is talking about this aspect of his work on the cross. He does not say that our old selves need to be uh, washed clean. He didn't say that it need to be restrained or suppressed 
or a counteracted, but to be crucified. Why? Because this old self of ours is corrupted beyond repair. It's corrupted beyond redemption. It is a total write-off. And God's way of dealing away with the old self is to put it to death. And this is accomplished through the union of our old self with the Lord Jesus in crucifixion. Now, apart from dying with Christ, there's no other way to put the old self to death. But Paul says that I, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. If there is no putting the old self to death, there is no resurrected life. And the power of the resurrected life can come only once we have crucified our old self on the cross. And the question is, how many of us are really crucified on the cross? When the Lord Jesus was on the cross, he had the authority to come down if he so wished. And similarly for those of us who are crucified with the Lord, we too can uh, uh, let our old self to come down from the cross if we so choose. The thing is, our old self refused to die. The death on the, because the death on the cross is a very painful death. And it's a very prolonged one. We may want to die to self, but we keep getting down from the cross. You know what they say about living sacrifices? They keep running away from the altar. You know, the moment our old self comes down from the cross, self returns to his old position, pandering to all his uh, sinful desires. So it takes a very long time to come to this point of even making the decision about sin, about dying to self. That's why one of us, Paul, a super Christian, and he tells us that I die daily. This is one of Paul's acts, that he needed to crucify uh, his self and whatever sinful uh, inclination he, he has daily every day because the degree of living a resurrected life comes with the degree we die to our old self you know frequently in our attempt uh, to achieve Pentecost we bypass Calvary but the thing is if there's no Calvary event there will not be a Pentecostal experience if there was no cross on Calvary that day, there won't be tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. We cannot shortcut the process. And do not let anyone tell you otherwise. Before we can experience that resurrected life, 
our old self needs to be dealt with. It needs to be crucified. And when it is done, the resurrected life that the Lord tells us that we are united with him come about. You know, Paul prayed to the Lord to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we know those three things. Firstly, that we may know him better. And secondly, that we know our position, that we are God's precious children and his, and his, uh, his, uh, his inheritance. And thirdly, what God's power, great power is in us. Now what Paul longs for us is not to obtain more from God, but to see how amazing, how glorious, how rich, and how great that which has been already given to us. Our spiritual progress is not advanced by how much more blessings we have, or how much uh, um, um, grace that the Lord bestows upon us, but rather, it is by seeing what the Lord has already given and is already in us. It is tragic when the eagle inside us is convinced that we are nothing but just a chicken, just as existing as the world dictates. You know, there's no need for us to live in poverty when all of God's blessings and all of God's wealth and blessing is at our disposal. And this morning, Paul's message to us is, stop living like, chick, uh, like eagles who think that they're nothing but chickens. Rather, live like eagles and soar in the skies. So let us live that way. Let us spread our wings and fly. We are born to soar. And may the Lord grant us this uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened and live like eagles and soar in the skies. Let's pray. I hey, Father, as we come to you this morning, again, we acknowledge that so often we just uh, don't see what you have uh, installed for us and we do not do what you have called us to do. Father, we just uh, ask for your forgiveness, and Lord, and that as you open our eyes, Lord, as we see you, Lord, and we understand, and Lord, to do what uh, you have already installed for us and what you have already blessed us with. We thank you for such um, a great uh, um, heritage that you've given us, such great blessing that you've given us, and such great um, future that you have installed for us with all the things that have given us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.